All right, well, we'll just, uh, we're just going to pick up where we left off last time. We were talking about, um, I think we ended up talking about Cain and Abel and the, the, the picture. This is our first picture of the first and the second. When I talk about the first and the second, just for people that may be new, new here or, or newer, uh, just a quick reminder. The Bible is the story of the first and the second. It's the story about, when, when I say the first, I mean the first man, the first creation, and the, and the first covenant, all of which th- through the, the cross gives way to a new man, a new creation, a new covenant. And, and so you can really understand the Bible. You can understand the, basically the, the eternal purpose of God as this reality of the first and the second. There is the, the first is the promise. It's the natural picture, the, 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 the type and shadow, the promise, the prophecy, uh, what other words would be good to describe it? Um, I don't know, maybe the reflection or something, but, but all of that was created of God to point to something that it fell short of. And what it fell short of was the second. The second is the, um, well, it's Christ. It's Christ, but it's Christ as a, as the life of a new man. As the as the relationship between man and God as a new covenant, Isaiah says, "I will give you." Uh, speaking, to, the Father speaking to Christ a couple times in Isaiah says, "I will give you as a covenant to the people." And uh, the new creation in Christ, uh, Paul talks about in Second Corinthians chapter five. All that is the fulfillment of the pictures that are given to us in the in the old covenant and or in the old testament so and that's not just something that um god just kind of mentions randomly in one obscure passage in like job you know no it's everywhere you look all over the old testament once you start to once the lord starts to deal with your heart about um the first and the second. In other words, once the Lord begins to show you that your journey of truly knowing the Lord, hey, Frank and Stacy just joined us, and Heath from Australia, great. Um, once the Lord begins to deal with your heart about about uh, the fact that our experience of knowing Christ is a taking away of the first and an establishing of the second in your heart, then these scriptures in the Old Testament start to jump out. They start to just come out of everywhere you, everywhere you look, you start to see them. And then you start to realize that the authors of the New Testament also were talking about this everywhere. And when I, when I say when the Lord begins to deal with your heart about this, what I'm talking about, most of you are familiar with that language, but I don't want to, I don't want to um, <clears throat> speak, uh, Jason E's here. Uh, I want people to understand what I'm talking about. The first and the second, like we just said, the first is the old man, old creation, old covenant. The, the second is the new man, new creation, new covenant. That's the language of the book of Hebrews. That's why I use that language. But it's uh, it's also, the, the pictures of it, as I just said, filled the Old Testament. But the the taking away of the first and the establishing of the second, which is a verse in Hebrews chapter ten verse nine. He came. He, Jesus speaks and he says, "I come to do your will, O God. I take away the first and I establish the second. And that's what the entire book of Hebrews is about. We've been studying that book for like three years uh, uh, on Friday nights. But the the whole point of taking away the first and establishing the second isn't so that you can understand historically or dispensationally or whatever, biblically, theologically, this transition. The whole point of God going into that and describing it in so much detail in the Old Covenant and then and then declaring it as being fulfilled in the New is that you would experience that reality in your heart. And I can't say that strong enough. This is not, you know, we're looking at the Old Testament, we're going really slow, we're looking at a lot of details and pictures and stuff, but none of this, I don't want any of this to be academic for you guys. I don't want it to be intellectual. If it is, we might as well just stop the class right now because, I mean, I'm not saying the intellect is is, is useless. It's very useful for... Um, for paying your mortgage and for driving a car and uh, for reading. But it's not the faculty that God has given you to know Christ. 
the faculty that you have where Christ is known is the soul, where he's revealed. First, he's given to you as your life, and he's revealed in you as your life. And then, knowing him, truly knowing him as the Spirit of God, teaches the life that you've been given to your soul, the life that is Christ. That, in you, is an experience of exactly what I just said, putting away the first. It's, an exp- it's putting off, it's what Paul says, by the renewing of the spirit of your mind, you put off the old man and put on the new. It's the, it's the removal of the old and the establishing of the new. And, and so these things that we read about, I don't, I don't just want us to, to read the Old Testament and connect the dots. between. Hey, look, there's a story of the first and the second and Cain and Abel and Isaac and Ishmael and Jacob and Esau and Saul and David and Ephraim and Manasseh and just say, hey, check that out. It's, that's really neat. Well, it is neat, but it's neat because God is testifying about something that we're not supposed to know historically, or not at least not only historically. We're supposed to experience it in us as the Lord removes from us our, well, separates us, as Paul says in First Corinthians or in Galatians one, separate God who separated me, severed me, is really that word in in Greek, severed, cut off me from my first birth, my mother's womb, to reveal His Son in me. So there's a removal of one life and the revealing of another, and that's the journey that we're on. So I just I want to say that just before we jump in here uh, with both feet uh, just so that we're aiming in the right direction. It's always my fear uh, that this becomes natural knowledge to us. That this bec- I mean, it, it may start as natural knowledge, but the Spirit of God needs to make these things spirit and truth in your heart or we're wasting our time. So, um, so Cain and Abel. Uh, Genesis chapter four is is where that story is, and and uh, as I mentioned last time, this is our this is our first big picture, a clear picture that I that I've seen at least of uh, in the Bible of the first and the second, and the and you see this pattern, and and I just mentioned some of the you know the, some of the main pictures where you see this, uh, you, you see it in Cain and Abel, the first is rejected the first falls short the second is pleasing to god the first not always are all of these elements present in each one of these stories but most of them are and 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 and, and they're all present in some of the stories so you, so here's the elements you see the first is rejected why well because it isn't the second is the primary reason because it's a shadow because it's a picture the first, what was wrong with the first covenant you know the the, the old covenant you could say that it was full of sinners and sin, and that's true, but that's not, even if it wasn't full of sinners and sin, it still would have fallen short because it was natural, temporal, it was physical, material, it was animals being killed, it was high priests that were actually men dressed up like Jesus, you know, with 12 stones instead of 12 tribes inside of Christ. You know, they, they, it was a natural fire instead of a God who is a consuming fire. It was all natural. And even if if man had never sinned in that covenant, it was still not the thing that God had saw before the foundation of the world and established in his heart as his purpose and plan. Ephesians chapter 1, that God had before the foundation of the world, God had established a plan to have a people living in his son before him in love who were going to be the praise of his glory. Period. That was it. The old covenant wouldn't have got that done if man had never sinned. So yes, sin was part of the first, and part of what was put away when the first was put away. But that's not the only reason that 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 uh, Christ came to put away the first. He put away the first not just because it was full of sin, but because it wasn't the second, because it wasn't spiritual, eternal, and internal, which is what God has always desired. So here's some of the, the patterning again. Uh, the first falls short. The second is pleasing to God. The second is always what God's heart has been longing for. You see that really clearly in Rachel and Leah. Rachel, uh, Leah was the first. He accepts Leah. He takes Leah. Jacob does. And yet his heart from the very beginning, before he even married Leah, was set on Rachel. Rachel was the second. She was the one he he uh, he longed to, 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 to be united with. And... Uh, 
okay, Isaac and Ishmael, those pictures are super clear. The first is established. The second, or the first, it falls short. I'm sorry. The second is pleasing to God. The first becomes jealous, persecutes the second. Then God intervenes. God acts in such a way as to take away the first, in this case, casting out Ishmael and establishing the second. And in that case, was establishing Isaac as the only son of Abraham. And that's the language that God uses, interestingly enough. When God talks to Abraham three times, he says, Take Isaac, your one and only son. He doesn't even recognize the first as being part of his eternal purpose and plan. And when when Abraham cries out, like we do, that the first should have some place in his purpose and inheritance, God says, Kick it out of the camp. It doesn't belong here. It has no inheritance with your son Isaac. And uh, so, uh, anyway, Esau... We'll get into those pictures more when we get to them eventually. But Esau and Jacob, same thing. Uh, it's a, a, a the first is uh, well in this case there's more details involved. The first sells his birthright and therefore loses his blessing. The second takes it. The first becomes jealous and persecutes the second. The second then becomes a you know a great people and and. Uh, Whatever, God intervenes and establishes the second as the one who receives the blessing from the Father. You remember that story. Uh, Ephraim and Manasseh, we were talking about today in church this morning in the Types and Shadows class I do here. Um, I can't remember why we got into that. No, no, actually it was in the second class because I was talking about, uh, um, uh, what's his name? Joseph. Joseph has two sons, Okay. All the, I mean, I, I, I kind of end up going off on bunny trails about these things because they're, they're, they're just uh, super important. But Joseph has two sons, okay? And what's the, what's the first called? It's he's called Manasseh. What does that mean in Hebrew? It means God makes you makes me forget, or, or in, in I, I know it in Spanish better. It's makes. Makes forget, I guess. Um, he and 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 then the second one, Ephraim, is is the word fruitful. And when he names them, he calls the first Manasseh because he says, "God has made me forget uh, my former life and the work that I did," or something like that. I forget exactly how it says it. I again, I was that was all in Spanish. I I can't quite pull up the language right now in English, but it's like uh, God makes me forget my former. Uh, days and the work of my hands, or something like that. And the second is fruitful, and and that God has made me fruitful in this new land. And again, those are two awesome. Those are the two sides of the cross too. You know, he, you forget the first, and you press on and know the second. It's all it's right there in Philippians chapter three and so many other places. But anyway, that's another picture. Saul and David is another one. Uh, we mentioned Leah and Rachel. Anyway. The, this isn't coincidence that these stories keep popping up where the first is rejected, the second is accepted, and then all these other aspects just keep repeating themselves over and over again. This is clearly the the mind of the Lord to show us something that he wants us to understand. And it's also the apostles' interpretation of these things as well. If you look in uh, Galatians chapter 4, for instance... Uh, scripture, I think, I don't remember if we've talked about it in this class or not, but in Galatians chapter 4, um, in verse 21, he, sees, he says, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For, he's talking kind of sarcastically about people that are trying to hold on to the Old Covenant, and he says, look, let me tell you about the Old Covenant here. It is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a bondwoman, and... Uh, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh. He's talking about Ishmael, born of Hagar. And he who was of the free woman, born according to promise. These things are symbolic, for these are the two covenants. This is Paul here. Uh, Pretty hard to, to miss what he's saying here. These are the two covenants, one from Mount Sinai, Okay, the two mountains are also symbolic, Mount Sinai and Mount Zion. Uh, 
the symbolic of these two relationships, these two peoples, is the, the natural, the spiritual, the first, or the second, whatever. And then he goes on to talk about, and he's using, he, by the way, Paul is using this to comfort the the church at this time because the first was persecuting the second. The, the natural Israel was persecuting spiritual Israel. And he says, uh, and he says to them first that the, that the Jerusalem above, the heavenly Jerusalem, is our mother, and because of that we are free, because we're born of the Spirit, born of the Second, partakers of the spiritual promise, and and all of that. But then he says um, in verse 29, But as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, even so it is now. Now, I don't know if you guys know your history about this, but the, the natural Israel, the Jews, were persecuting and killing and dragging into uh, their their courts and, and being put to death or handed over to the Romans to be crucified or impaled or whatever, uh, the Christians during during this time. And, uh, and the first was persecuting the second. And even in history, God intervened to... Uh, by the by the power of the Roman uh, Empire to 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 put away the first and establish the second but I'm not going to get into all that uh, tonight but my point is that Paul is clearly and obviously understanding these two women their two sons and these two mountains as and the two Jerusalems the old Jerusalem the new Jerusalem as as representatives of or symbolic pictures of the old and the new, the first and the second, the flesh and the spirit, the old covenant and the new covenant, he says so himself. And and we could I could take you to a whole bunch of places in the New Testament where the exact same thing is shown, but I don't feel like I need to do that with this with this group. Um, okay, so what's what's the point here? I guess. <clears throat> just that we always keep in mind. It's just this is something that you're not going to just bump into here in, in, in Genesis chapter four and not see again until we get to the new covenant or something. No, you're going to see it over and over and over again. The the first and the second. What's the what's the point? The point is that before God ever created a thing, He determined in His heart that He was going to give the picture, the pattern, the prophecy the shadow first and then bring the fulfillment the reality the substance that's the deal and the way that he was going to do that was through the cross through the cross he was going to put the first to death and the body of Christ and bring out from that death the new the spiritual the second in the resurrection of which we are made partakers we become the the, the body of that new life and the creation in which that he fills with his seed and we become the the uh, those who partake of Christ's spiritual relationship with his father I am in the father you are in me I am in you we, we inherit a new covenant not a picture of a relationship with God through a man a high priest and through a veil and through an ark and all those natural pictures we come into the good of all of those things in Christ and all the way through the Old Testament, all the way through the prophets, the Babylonian captivity, all of that, right up into the parables of Jesus. I mean, how many parables of Jesus had to do with these same two things? You know, you have, there's two owners of the vineyard. You know, the first owners of the vineyard won't give the fruit to their master. Jesus puts them, Jesus says they are, uh, they are the vineyard is taken away from them and given to those who would give the master his fruit in, in due season, you know, and then there's the two sets of wedding guests, the ones that refuse the invitation and the ones that accept the invitation, and and then there's two sons of, of, the, man, of the, the prodigal son is one of two sons, you know, one that's always been there but doesn't experience the father's inheritance and the other one who was dead and comes back alive to the father and then receives our, I mean, the, the, the whole thing that's why I, I kind of uh, I go on and on about it, but it, it's that's what the the Bible that's what the Bible is about. And just if you can bear the repetition one more time, that's what our journey of knowing Christ is all about. It is about you being born first, a natural man, and by way of the cross, you experiencing the end of that man in your soul. The implantation, the, the 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 impartation of of the second, the living, the new, the spirit in your soul, and then 
by the knowing of Christ, by the revealing of Christ, by renewing of the mind, whatever language you want to use, the inward putting off of the first and being established, rooted, and grounded in the second. That's that's everything. That's what, and, and the second is what glorifies God, and the second is what He's loved from the beginning, and the second is 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 is, is the first. I mean, the, the second is the is the is the Alpha and the Omega. It's what He saw from the beginning, and yet He gave us the pattern first. So, um. <clears throat> So, so part of what you see in these pictures here, starting with Cain, is that the first never takes his rejection or her rejection well. And I, and I want you to see that inwardly too. Adam doesn't just roll over and die easily. Every time God rejects the first, there's some kind of a great outcry. Because in your heart... God rejects the first and seeks to establish the second. And there is always this incredible collision of uh, uh, with the cross. You know, think about the stories for a second. God rejects Cain. And what does he do? He has a tantrum and then he goes off and kills his brother, you know. And then he, he and then God separates him from his presence, you know, forever. And he, and he says, my, my punishment is too great for me. I can't bear it. And, and he, he cannot accept his rejection. And then you go to uh, Abraham with uh, Isaac and Ishmael. And God says, Isaac, you're going to have a son named Isaac. And, and Abraham cries out and says, Oh God, can't Ishmael just live before you in your sight? And God says, in my paraphrase, Who's Ishmael? That's something you made. And, uh, and, and so there's this cry in Abraham's heart. Can't we just keep the first? You know? Or, or maybe the, the the strongest one is Jacob and Esau. When when Esau realizes, remember, he walks into his father's presence, and his and, and his father says, "Who are you, my son?" And he says, "I'm the firstborn." And he says, "No, I just blessed the firstborn." And yes, he will be blessed. And then Esau says, "But don't you have another blessing for me?" And uh, I wish I had the verse open right now in front of me, but Jacob or Isaac says, "No, no, I, I only have one blessing. What is there left for you?" And then it says, and Esau shuddered and screamed with a very, very violent scream. Or like, I wish I had it here open, but you guys can look it up. It says he he shook and cried out with a violent cry, you know. And and um, that I don't know. All of these pictures, for me, every time I read over those things, I I think about how my own heart responds. My own Adamic blindness, my own carnality, when it sees the cross in front of me saying, not I, but Christ. I, I need to be crucified with Christ, not I, but he is the one that lives in me. When it, when it sees that reality and has to face that reality, there's something in me every time to every degree that just wants to scream but don't you have something also for me? You know, or can't Adam live before you? Can't you just bless him too? Can't you, don't you have something left to give the natural? Is it all about Christ? Is it really Christ all and in all? Is it all about the increase of the second? I mean, does he really get the, 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 the first, the, the, um, the, 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 the inheritance and the blessing? Does he get everything? And what about Ishmael? You know, what about this other thing that I have going on here? What about the natural man? And, and God just keeps talking about his son. I only have one son. I only have one inheritance. I only have one blessing. And I have that same Esau knee-jerk reaction in me that says, Don't, look, tell me what I need to do better. Tell, tell, me, tell me how I'm a, a bad Christian, but don't tell me I have to die. Don't tell me that I don't have, I'm not the son that, that receives the inheritance. Don't tell me I have to be found in him who is the beloved of God, that I have to lose what I call life and be accepted in the beloved. Don't, you know, that's, that's something that we don't want to, we're, we're just like Cain, we're just like um, 
Esau and, and, and Abraham and and, uh, and and Saul. There's another one. God walks up to well, Samuel, but speaking the words of God, walks up to Saul and says, "I have today I have taken away the kingdom from you, and I've given it to someone who's better than you." And what does Saul do? He has a panic attack. I mean, he he freaks out. He grabs the edge of of his uh, of Samuel's garment and rips it you know rips it off of him and says please at least come back with me and worship in the presence of the people with me so that I still look like their king you know I mean it's something Samuel don't don't leave me with not don't give the full oil of anointing to David don't give me something here to work with and then the very next day this is really cool too I'm I'm not going to get very far tonight I can tell but uh, is the next day Samuel is praying for Saul. And he's he's been up all night, I think it says he spent the night in prayer or something like that, praying for Saul, and then God rebukes him and says, how long will you continue to pray for Saul, seeing that I have rejected him? Now go, fill your horn with oil, and anoint the son of, of Jesse. I just love that verse, because it's the same thing. How long will you mourn for something that I've rejected? How long will you try to get the anointing on that thing? How long will you try to hold on to it? Samuel, don't pray for that man. There's another man, you know? And I don't know. You can I'll let you apply that to your own prayer life as it as it fits. But <laughs> I tell you what, it's it's uh it's been pretty um impacting to see this this pattern and this reaction of the natural, this the reaction of the first, seeing that the first is rejected, the second is accepted. So, okay, getting back a little bit to Cain and Abel here. Um, what does Cain do? Well, he offers up to. They both offer something up to God, and yet the one offering is looked upon with favor, and the other is is not, and. And I've seen that over the years. I've seen Cain's offering in a few different ways, and I think there's probably truth to to uh, these different perspectives. Some truth to each of these different perspectives. Sometimes the uh, the thing that seems to stand out um, is that, or, or the thing that catches my attention is the fact that maybe maybe Cain is is uh, Cain's offering represents the best of the earth. I mean, he brought whereas. Abel brought a life, a blood poured out. You know, Cain brought the 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 increase of the earth that God had cursed. You know, and and that there's there's probably some truth to there. There's um, there's the uh, the issue of faith that uh, Hebrews talks about in Hebrews chapter eleven that that uh, Abel brought an offering according to faith and that's why he was accepted and that's obviously I mean that's right there in Hebrews so you know that that's that's definitely part of the picture and we talked about that recently in our Hebrews class seeing faith not being a belief system but a, but a spiritual seeing Abel saw something of the mind of the Lord the view of the Lord the perspective of the Lord and offered something that was representative of it Whereas Cain uh, did not. His offering was not according to faith. It was not that which seeing the truth uh, uh, works in you and presents to God. And um, so there's definitely an issue of of, uh, uh, of faith there. But however however you look at it in terms of the details, whether it's the increase of the land or the or the whatever ways you, you can kind of get into the details there. I think the big picture is simply that Cain was the first and Abel was the second. That Cain represents the uh, the thing that falls short of, of, of the glory of God and needs to, it needs to be uh, rejected. And so Cain, uh, his rejection, of course, angers him as it always does. He, he goes out and he strikes down his brother. And, and yet, even in this story, in a lot of this... <clears throat> I just mentioned a minute ago that that in a lot of these stories God intervenes to put away the first and establish a second. Well, in this story, uh, you can't really establish Abel because <clears throat> he's dead. I mean, he puts away Cain. I mean, God intervenes and he says, you know, cast him out. How does he say it here? Um, 
he's driven out of the face of the ground and hidden from God's face in verse 14. But, um, se- you know, separated from life, separated from blessing, separated from God's presence, kind of like Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden, uh, kind of another picture there. But, uh, but, but although, so although Abel dies, God in verse... In verse 25, I, I see Seth as the more or less, I mean, just in, in type and shadow language, not in not literally or naturally, but kind of as a picture of uh, the resurrection of, of Abel because this, <clears throat> because Seth, it says, takes the place of Abel. In verse 25, it says, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and named him Seth. For God has appointed, and, and she said, For God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom Cain killed. <coughs> and then following this, you see that the lineage of Adam is traced through Seth and not through Cain. And so the 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 seed, the promised seed, comes through that line, comes through the line of Seth, uh, in replacement of Abel, and Cain is just kind of like out of the picture. So just just a couple things. I mean, I said most of what I wanted to say about the first and the second when we were talking more generally about it with the other examples as well. But just a couple things about this about this story um, that I think are interesting that that jump out at me before getting into. Uh, Noah a little bit tonight. This is the first mention of the word sin. I think it's in verse 7. I didn't write it down here, but um, the first mention of the word sin in the Bible. We've seen we've seen transgression in the garden, but here we see sin. What, you know, what's the difference? Well, transgression is, is uh, it's a uh, it's a sin too, I suppose, but it's 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 a um, it's a deliberate or or a or a uh, it's a sin against a specific command. It's a it's a transgression of a specific command. A transgression is when there's a law and someone breaks the law, transgresses the boundaries of that law, and uh, and that's what happened in the garden. There was a specific rule made of God or a warning or a division or a line, a boundary that God set up, don't do this, don't eat this and whatever. And, and they went across it. And, and yet, um, here, that, so, so that's a transgression and that's, that's bad. But here you start to see sin. And I think it's important to make a distinction between sin and transgression because sin is, and I think we talked about this when we talked about the serpent a few weeks ago. I honestly, I can't remember, but Sin is is something greater than just a transgression. Sin is a nature. Sin is from the very beginning here is described as something. At least it's it's described in the language of something that's alive. Um, and I don't know exactly how to describe that. I mean, I mean alive as in not as having spiritual life, but alive as in like active, moving, influencing, motivating. Um, here, sin is said to be crouching at the door, waiting to basically dominate or to have dominion. Um, later on in the Old Testament, sin is very specifically pictured as leaven and as, as yeast. And leaven is I think it's a lie. It's like a bacteria, isn't it? It, it? Whatever it is, you put it in bread, and it like it, gr- it doesn't just sit there. It's not like salt that just kind of sits there. It, it lives. It spreads. It grows. It it it, it expands, and um, and then uh, and then later Jesus uh, talks about. I mean, it's, it's uh, Paul too in Romans. The language of sin is you know we're we're. We're obeying sin, or sin is our master. Jesus in John chapter eight talks about being slaves to sin, and and so sin isn't just transgression. Sin is this living kind of nature, the kingdom of darkness, the nature of the fallen Adamic man, governed by darkness, governed by uh, uh, the kingdom of darkness, or, or whatever, that influences a soul, that dominates, that, that, that rules and reigns in a soul according to the kingdom of darkness. 
you could say the kingdom of sin, the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of darkness, you know, all those things to me are more or less synonymous. And and sin right here in the beginning, the first time you see the word, it's described in active living language, crouching at the door, looking for room, looking to have some kind of influence. And um I don't totally, there's a lot of details in this part that I haven't seen anything in, so I'm not going to pretend I have, but where, where God says to him, he, you know, sin is crouching um, at your door, but you must rule over it. I kind of see that as more of a hypothet- hypothetical solution that only becomes possible through, the, through Christ. I mean, because we know, and we see here in the very next chapters, that nobody outside of the cross was ruling over sin. Sin was ruling over them. In fact, Jesus very plainly says to all of the Jews, you're all slaves of sin. He who sins is a slave of sin. Period. So, it's more like I see here when he says this thing about ruling over it, kind of like a, almost like a prophecy of what will one day be possible, but as it, as it stands, um, man cannot rule over sin until the strong man you know the parable of Jesus goes into the house and binds the former occupant and the, the one that's stronger than the current occupant goes in there binds him and, and throws him out and takes possession of the house that's what that's what Christ does and that's why Paul in Romans 6 spends so much time talking about how we've had a change in government a change in kingdom we how we've been translated out of the dominion of, this is in Colossians now, but the dominion, the kingdom of darkness, and been translated into the kingdom of the son of his love. It's both of which are kingdoms, they're rules and reigns, uh, or, or, or kingdoms, reigns, yeah, I guess so. And, uh, and, and yet, uh, and in both of them, the human soul is the territory that is being governed or reigned by a nature, nature of righteousness, which is Christ. And the nature of sin, but uh, anyway, I just thought I'd mention that here because just because it's interesting to me that sin appears here to be alive and looking for a place to reign and rule. Um, this thing that Cain says, "Am I my brother's keeper?" That 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 famous little line is one time. It's one of those little notes I wrote in the margin of my Bible or something, but I just it struck out it's it stuck out to me and and that that perspective is exactly the opposite of what works in the body of Christ. Like in in Adam, it's in Adam, it's every man for yourself. You know, it's every man looking at it's, it's the nature of sin. The nature of Adam is to seek his own gain, is to Take the things around him, use the things around him, hurt the things around him, whatever whatever that means to have personal, natural benefit. And the, the idea of of actually loving the brethren, you know, loving, uh, laying down your life for a brother, you know, that that's that's something that only becomes a reality in Christ. Adam cannot lay down his life for somebody, not really. You know, you can do in some kind of proud heroic act. I guess someone could take a bullet for a president or something, but that's just—I mean—that's just as selfish as anything else we do. Uh, It's—I mean—it's motivated by, at best, responsibility, but more than more than that, um, pride and um, I don't know, honor and all those kind of things that are aimed at man's glory. So, um. Okay, that's probably enough about about Cain and Abel, and maybe I can say a few things here about um, Noah, and uh, definitely have to spend more time on Noah. I've got a lot of notes here on on Noah, but uh, think back with me here to the. Uh, in fact, I might just put this diagram up here real quick. Hold on a second. All right. Well, hopefully you can see that on your screens. Um, this little weird thing is is something I think I might have put up 
this diagram at the first one of the first two or three classes that when we're looking at kind of an overview of the Old Testament, um, I think there I think it's accurate to say that um, there's three pri there's tons of little ones, but there's three primary really big pictures of the cross. And all the other little ones kind of fit into the three big ones. The first one is has a picture of man, the natural man facing the cross. And the the ugly guy here, there's like a funny looking guy and then a normal looking guy. The funny looking guy in the diagram is just meant to display that God created man or God created a creation to bear the image, to somehow testify of or bear the image of, of what was to come which is this big man on the other side of the cross, which is, that's Christ, or all things made new in Christ, or a new creation in Christ, or a new man in Christ, new covenant in Christ, whatever. But through some way or another, man lost the image of what he was supposed to be testifying of. And so that's what you see with, with, um, with Adam. Adam fell, uh, began to be a slave to sin, the fallen Adamic nature totally... Um, lost the the image of the one he was meant to bear. And so there's this picture of a judgment that comes, a picture of the cross, and then the first of the three is the flood, and what the flood does, it doesn't actually bring the big guy here, it doesn't actually bring the substance of Christ, the large uh let's see if I can it doesn't bring I'm gonna highlight him over here. There we go. That's not the very best color, but here, this guy over here. It doesn't it doesn't bring about the reality of Christ, but what it does do is it puts away this false image that has fallen short in a great and, and universal judgment. And then it establishes a restored picture of, of Christ. Now, that restored picture eventually falls too. And... Uh, and then, then the, that one gets restored, and then it falls again, and then, and then it gets restored, and then the whole thing gets put away through the cross, and Christ is established. So, you know, through the through Noah and the ark and the flood, you see this grandiose picture of God summing up all of flesh and putting it away in one foul swoop, just like the cross did. Jesus says, "When I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself." And that's exactly what he did. When one died, all died. Paul says in Second Corinthians chapter five, he's the last Adam. He sums up the entire Adamic race in, in one giant death. Why? Well, partly because just to put away the first and establish the second, but also because they had completely lost the image of the thing they were supposed to be testifying to. And and so, but without getting into the other two here, this first one here, which I'll try to circle. That's what we're dealing with right now in this story of the flood. You're dealing with the, the first large picture of the way that the creation fell short of the glory of God, started to bear an image and a likeness that it was not created to bear. It was created in God's image and likeness, and it started to reproduce in, in fact, that's what it says, I think it's... Uh, Genesis 5-2, that Adam and Eve had many sons and daughters in their own likeness and image. And, and it start, they started to fill the world with, a, uh, with, a, with an image and a likeness that was completely contrary to, in every conceivable way, the thing that they're supposed to be arrows pointing to. They're supposed to be these created shadows and pictures that God says was good, very good, because it pointed to, reflected, and and testified of he who is goodness itself. And yet that image, it became like this squiggly Dr. Seuss-looking guy, um, totally uh, spoiled of the original uh, testimony that God had, had put in it. So, um what when when you take let me just say this too in each of these things when god established a creation whether it was the natural creation first with adam or the creation of 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 israel which was in a sense a new creation in a sense because it was a it was a new 
world of pictures and types and shadows that pointed to Christ. It was it was a people in covenant that were everything they were doing, obeying every feast they off they they kept, every sacrifice they offered, every every everything they were doing was a new create very specifically created in the natural realm testimony of Christ. But when you take Christ out of the testimony, it becomes worthless. It becomes, um, you know, it's it's absolutely lost its its purpose for existing, and that's that's what happened. Uh, Adam lost all goodness by losing the image of Christ that he was created to bear. And so, the reason I'm trying to stress that is because you have to understand that from God's perspective, the only goodness that was ever in creation, it wasn't that it was pretty. It wasn't like the leaves turn color and fall, and God that's why God made it, because it was pretty. It was, the goodness that creation had was the was the measure of the 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 image or testimony of of all things made new in Christ that it bore and when Adam lost that image when Adam no longer bore that image then you start to see God using this incredible incredibly strong language to c- condemn it and to talk about it as though there was it was completely spoiled of purpose completely empty of anything good and uh and and the only thing left to do with it is to wipe it off the face of the earth okay so you see let's see here let's read a few verses uh in genesis chapter 6 um verse th- no that would be Galatians chapter 6. Okay, Genesis chapter 6, verse 3. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh. Yet his days shall be 120 years. Um, a lot of people say, uh, just different opinions about the, that 120 years thing. Uh, one of the common ideas is that God was saying that people would only live to be 120 years old after that point, but that's not really doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me because after that people lived a whole lot longer than that, even hundreds of years after that, and there's some people today that have even outstretched that. I think it, I think it was uh, more likely that that soon after this he tells Noah to build the ark. Noah built the ark for a uh, hundred years, and I think he was basically saying that in his from his view in 120 years he was going to wipe all of flesh off the face of the earth i think he was kind of giving like, like a kind of like a countdown to the cross or countdown to the judgment and uh expressing his um his desire to to remove flesh from his sight and the fact that he would not strive with flesh forever i'm going to put it away i'm going to at least i'm going to give you a very clear picture of the cross and how the cross removes from my sight this Adamic man. And what's wrong with this Adamic man? Well, let's read verse 5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. Again, why such strong language? Because the Adamic man, apart from the image of Christ, is not just messed up. It's not, I mean, it's, it's, it's not just a little bit off. It is completely contrary. If you take, this is what I'm trying to tell you guys, if you take Christ out of the shadow, you have something absolutely twisted, perverted, fallen, and, 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 all the goodness is gone. There's nothing left for it. Even though man might value, I mean, I guarantee that the people in in the earth, if they would have at that time, if they would have overheard uh, God saying that to himself or whoever he said it to, they would have come up with a thousand and five different reasons why they thought that was an overstatement. You know, they would have they would have argued with God. You know, didn't you see? I I, I helped. You know, my neighbor build that, uh, I don't know, whatever, 
playground for his kids in his backyard. That was nice. Wait, how can you say every intent of my? You know, I took out the trash for old, you know, Grandma Moses last week, or and 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 there would have been a thousand different ways that that the human heart could argue with with that statement. But you have to see that statement from the perspective of goodness, not from the perspective of of, of Adam. You take the one who's good, the image, the reflection, the testimony of the one who's good out of creation, and this is what you have left. Every intent of the thoughts of his heart is only evil continually. And and that's, you know what, friends, why is this the first picture of the cross you see, the first big picture of the cross you see in the Old Testament? I believe because it's the first thing you face in the light. It's the first thing, when you start to see Christ, I mean really see a little bit of, of the one who is goodness, the first thing that punches you in the stomach and you never recover from is exactly this statement. Whether you say it like this in your heart or not, it hits you and you see it. And it, and it maybe it removes... I mean, maybe, maybe with as you. I mean, for me, when I when I saw it and I uttered this statement in my heart, not even realizing it was in Genesis six at the time, but I saw it. It was the end of everything. It was it was the the, the exposing, and and uh, uh, what's another word? D- destroying in my heart of everything I had done as a Christian, every ministry I'd been a been a part of every every everything that I had done from the wrong man for the wrong reasons it just it came into view and I not even again at the time recognizing this verse or ever having seen the the, the reality of, of this judgment but I remember that in my own way in my own realization one of the very first things I, I admitted to the Lord and saw so clearly was every single thing that has me as its source as its source is only evil all the time and and that if i don't find the thing that you call goodness which is a person to live in me and form his life in me then i have absolutely no hope. The only hope that I, that you can see in that light is the hope that God can do in you this incredible work of not fixing the first, not improving the first, not blessing the first. No, you don't even want that when you see in the light. You stop. That's when you stop crying out and you stop saying, "Can't you just bless Ishmael? Can't you just let 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 Esau have a little bit of the?" When you see in this light. The only thing that you really want and need from the Lord is for him to take away the first from your soul and establish the second. Establish him who is the beloved of God. And, uh, and, and uh, anyway, we're out of time. I'm going to stop there. But the language, uh, let's just read one more verse here. Uh, verse 11, the earth also was corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence. Again, the opposite of brotherly love or whatever. So God looked upon the earth and indeed it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And the Lord said, the end of all flesh has come before me for the earth is filled with violence. Behold, I will destroy them together with the earth. I'm going to destroy the whole thing. And you could argue, isn't there something good? There's, it's, it's lost the image that I created it to bear. It's all going to be destroyed. And, and, and this, friends, is what the cross accomplished. And we'll, we'll get into that more next time. So let me stop the recording and 